Welcome to a Healthy Discourse. It's Emily here, and I'm super excited to welcome my friend and respected, renowned pediatrician, Dr. Bose Ravenel, to the show today. He retired from medicine in March of 2020 and has spent the past year and a half researching everything that is coming out about COVID, studying the studies, creating his own remarks, and more. I encourage you to check out a link to Dr. Ravenel's Facebook post, diving deeper into masks in the show notes today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that this episode leaves you feeling empowered. Hello, and hello to everybody listening. Hey. Hey. Welcome, Dr. Ravenel, to Healthy Discourse. I'm so excited to have you here. Probably one of my... um, I'm probably most excited about this episode that that any I've done in a while. And I'm just going to tell you guys, our listeners, a little bit about Dr. Ravenel. And I want you to fill in all of my my blanks, okay? Um, Okay. But he is a, he practiced pediatrics for 46 years. Is that correct? Uh, (laughs) Let's see. 33 pediatric practice, six and a half integrative medicine, uh-huh. uh, 11 years in the middle was in academics. Ah, that, okay. 11 years in the middle in academics. And he is the author of several books. He's also been quoted in some of the most um, read parenting books, I suppose, that uh, especially in the biblical parenting realm, including... Uh, tell us some of the books that you've been quoted in, Dr. Ravenel, the ones well, that everybody knows about, because there's cool. a lot of them. <laughs> well, with John Roseman, I, I quoted, I mean, I co-authored The Diseasing of America's Children with John, and then right. um, we did work together on materials, and he, he wrote the book, Parenting by the Book, uh, that I had, we, we had shared a lot of information about it. He wrote the book. I wasn't involved with it. I think he may have quoted me there. Mm-hmm. Well, that is my favorite parenting book. I've listened to it on Audible probably 10 times or more. And his principles have been in back my kids. I mean, just to give John Rosemond a little shout out. And for those for those parents listening that have not, not employed his methods, I will tell you, Wiggy and I were at our wits end with parenting for little boys and listened to his book. And I was just, we were just so like I felt immediately encouraged and like I had a new toolbox. So all that to say, um, yeah. yes. so Dr. Ravenel is a renowned pediatrician now retired. And I'm just going to tell our listeners a little bit of the sad truth. Um, it is very difficult for practicing physicians to speak out against anything that is not mainstream now, probably more so than ever before because there's Right. There are so many threats. And so the great thing about Dr. Ravenel is he's doubly retired now and um, he can he can say anything that he wants to. And so we're grateful for his voice. And today we're going to dig into a very tough topic, something that is exploding here in North Carolina right now. And that is the effectiveness of masks and why we should perhaps be concerned, especially with kids going back to school and discussions around mask mandates, um, vaccine, I wouldn't say, ma- well, we're seeing vaccine mandates 
and all of our major hospitals around here. And while schools are not mandating them, they are saying that kids that are in high school that have not been vaccinated will be required to wear a mask. And so I've heard from several friends already that are just distraught over this because on one hand, they don't want their child to get the vaccine. On the other hand, they feel like they're giving their child a scarlet letter by that child having to wear a mask every day in school. So today we're going to talk about masks, and I'm hoping that very soon we can have a follow-up conversation um, about Dr. Ravenel's vaccine, uh, his thoughts on the vaccine. And I'll say this too. Um, Interestingly, Dr. Ravenel retired right when COVID hit, and he has he's one of those people that is never going to fully retire. And so he's, he's been researching like crazy since March of 2020. So I very much value all of the work that you've done. I'm grateful for that. And I would love to just dig in today to talk more about what is happening right now. Um, Why, why do we, where does, where's all this mask requirement mandates coming from and what we need to be realizing as parents and just as adults too, as far as their effectiveness as well as some of the risks. So we'll just start with a straightforward question. Do cloth masks and neck sleeves and gaiters and all of these kinds of things that we've been required to wear around for the last year and a half, do they do anything to stop the virus in your opinion? No, that's a simple answer. Uh, the evidence is overwhelming. There are, in the 13 sources that I put together and shared with you, Emily, collectively among those sources, many reviews of, of articles and reviews of reviews. There are hundreds of articles included, um, analyses, uh, ex- explanation of science behind it, theory, and there's just no evidence to, su- to support masks worn by well people slowing the spread of COVID to other people. There is no evidence for it. Uh, actually, about six months ago, four months ago or so, someone challenged the State Department of Public Health to produce evidence to warrant or to uh, support their mass mandate. And in response to that, Mandy Cohen provided for the challenging party, which they're required to do under the Freedom of Information Act, uh, 22 studies. And when these studies were analyzed carefully, not one of the studies supported wearing masks to prevent viral transmission. Mm-hmm. And then right. even yesterday in the Greensboro newspaper, Mandy Cohen was, Cohen was quoted as saying, quote, we know that masks work. And that statement is, of course, false. And uh, she should know that because she was part of providing the 22 studies that failed to show any evidence to support it back months ago. Right. And I think that from what I understand, there are three major mask studies, two of which are on cloth masks and one of which, and these are peer reviewed, you know, that seem to be the most reliable of all. And the only one of the three that shows that there is any, that masks help at all, is those using N95s that are fitted to that particular person and fitted appropriately. Is that correct? That's correct, uh, although I would even be broader and say that among those hundreds of studies, literally hundreds, mm-hmm. within those 13 sources that I cite, uh, many of those articles uh, are in great depth and very scientific 
analyzing even some articles that purport to claim that it supports mask wearing, but when carefully analyzed, the uh, it, they were flawed interpretations and conclusions. So mm -hmm. you're right, N95s are the only ones that even, even suggestive evidence that they benefit. And to use those properly, one has to be trained, even physicians who mm -hmm. wear them have to be trained by OSHA certified people in hospitals. And they have various side effects. They, they have to be monitored for how long they use them. Right. They won't be tolerated by lay people. Right. And there are no N95 masks for children. They don't no. make them, correct? Yes. So that's something else. And and I think what you, you just mentioned, something that I think is important to point out, that some of the headlines that we're seeing from some of these mask studies that would indicate that they work in the mainstream media has been a preferential interpretation of picking and choosing what they want to present out of the various studies. Would you agree with that? That's correct. That's why the 22 studies provided by the State Department of Public Health that they claimed that they thought would help support their mandate actually did not do so when examined carefully. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the risks to long-term mask wearing. As I mentioned, we're hearing so much about schools. I know our school system where we live is having a special meeting next week. And um, it's, of course, very polarizing. And I do understand that people that are uh, encouraging masks, they don't generally have nefarious intentions. I think that we're just so misinformed as a culture that we've gotten into this place. So I would love to dig in a little bit more with some of the specific research with kids and some of the thing, some of the information that we know as far as effectiveness as well as risks for long-term mask wearing. Because I mean, most kids sit in, in school for seven hours a day. Some of them are on and off a bus for an additional hour or two each way. That's up to like 10 hours a day that kids are sitting in these masks when that is the requirement. So talk to us a little bit about some of the risks involved. Well, yeah, first of all, I agree that the people in our communities who are making recommendations, I don't fault them. They are following what they're told by those who are making the mandates and all that. Unfortunately, they're being provided information which is not verified by research. I'm not aware of any research, quality research, ever done on two and three and four-year-old children wearing masks. I'm confident there is no such thing. There's no objective data at all. They're just assuming and extrapolating. Um, and then as far as risk, though, the, the, we do know that in people, older people, where they have studied them, they are known to have a, a very slight measurable increase in uh, the exhale, exhale gas called carbon dioxide, which mm -hmm. is, if you were hours a day, can be uh, harmful. It can actually lower oxygen saturation levels slightly. And these levels are, have been shown in research settings to be in a range that do qualify for being considered to be potentially hazardous to health. Mm -hmm. But more important than that, even in my opinion, the young children, is the children are, uh, they experience, it's been documented in many sources, the effects psychologically and uh, in kind of generating a perception. Children don't understand, they have concrete thinking. They right. interpret these things as being that they're conveyors of bad infections. And so it's a psychological thing, it's devastating. 
and it mm -hmm. interfered with socialization and communications impaired. This has been well documented. Right. Well, I'm looking at one of your references here, and um, this was taken from um, data that parents entered on a total of 25,930 children. So this is not a you know peer-reviewed research study, but this was a survey that was given to parents. Um, and 68% reported that children complained about impairments from the mask. 60% uh, irritability, 53% headache, 50% difficulty concentrating, 49% less happiness, 44% reluctance to go to school, 42% malaise, 38% impaired learning, and 37% drowsiness and fatigue. And those numbers matter. And I, I think about, you know, we're, we're coming off of kids already experienced most, well, in our state anyway, almost a year of having to learn at home on a computer and then going to school and being required to wear the mask. And I think about the psychological um, abilities for, for kids to even understand what is happening and, and feeling like they have no control over any of these things and the inability to properly socialize with their peers and to learn, you know, you're not allowed to be close to each other. You mask, you can't see each other's full faces, all those kinds of things. And I don't think it takes a, um, a an expert to understand how the impairments that that is causing, like you said, and, and not to mention the, the mental health problems that we're seeing in teenagers and older kids. Do you have any information on that? I'm not necessarily just from masks themselves, but from the inability to live in normal life as an adolescent? Well, I think a lot of this is uh, intuitive and kind of obvious, self-evident. And uh, I, I don't really focus as much on the, the minute details of each of the articles. That's why I have that 13 source summary that I'm welcome to share with anybody that would like to see it. It has links if, you, if it's emailed to all the studies involved, of which there are hundreds. But uh, and I would like to make a point that young children, especially two, three, four, five, even eight or nine, any parent and any pediatrician should absolutely know that it is, no child at that age has ever or ever will wear a mask, quote, properly. It, it's impossible. It'll never happen. Right. You're not touch your face. You're not, you didn't do this and do that. It doesn't happen. Anybody knows that. Yeah, that is a very, very good point. And, you know, I, I, um, I, I feel that we are in a place where it's, it's important. We know enough about the virus and young kids now that I think we're at a place that we can allow parents to make their own choices and understand. Sure, there are always going to be risks of viruses, just like the flu goes around the school every year and that kind of thing. And I, I, I strongly encourage parents who feel strongly about this, and especially if you have personal examples, to talk to your school board members, show up, send the emails, do those things in order to um, try to, to create choices again for us as parents, right? As Absolutely. Parents, we need to be able to have choices in how to raise our own children. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Well, you know, we, we weren't going to talk about the vaccine today, but we've got a couple of minutes. So let's go ahead and, and just go there. 
Um, and, and I'm going to speak specifically to children. I know that um, I've been following the VAERS data very closely myself, um, but I would, I would love to speak specifically to adolescents because, like I said, here in our school system and all around, you know, kids over 12 can now are now approved to take the experimental vaccine, I believe Pfizer, if I'm correct. And, um, and now, in a lot of these school systems, if you're the kid in the high school that hasn't gotten the vaccine, you're going to be required to wear a mask. And the implications of that from a social standpoint, I think are quite obvious. But talk to us about why, as parents, we need to not just go along with the flow or even um, pressures from our own kids because they don't want to be the ones with the scarlet letter. How, how can we make calculated good choices based on what we know so far? The only way I can respond is to say that, first of all, the bottom line is that Dr. Peter McCullough, who is, I would say, is the world's, not the United States, the world's leading expert. All of his credentials academically, he's published 46 patient papers, peer-reviewed on COVID-19. He tra he's treated it. He's had it. His father had it. He's a bailer. He's a, a editor of two journals and on and on. Um, mm -hmm. He just recently in an interview said, as of the last three days, he now believes that no person should take the COVID vaccines, period, with no exceptions. And he thinks it's the most dangerous medical products ever administered to people. So you have mm -hmm. to start with that. The second thing is that there's no need in children for a vaccine because if children get COVID, they statistically it's almost zero. The CDC says their likelihood of surviving is 99.999 or 997%. In other words, they're Asymptomatic transmission from children to teachers or adults is almost unreported. It's rare. Right. And, and finally, the um, benefits, so they don't really have any benefit. They don't need it. And there are effective early treatments. McCulloch is made famous for that. Uh, there are very effective, early, inexpensive, safe treatments in case a child gets sicker than the, than the average child should. Mm-hmm. Right. What are we seeing so far? Um, and one, one concern that I have just in general, and again, I don't have a medical degree. I talk about that on here all the time. People like to give me a default medical degree because we <laughs> and I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't do that. But logically, it seems to me that the same vaccine that we are giving a 300 pound adult male is the same vaccine that we're giving an 80 pound 12 year old child. And that in of itself seems to me to be, you know, kind of off in how this should look. Is that is that something that should be considered? I don't know enough about dosing. Uh -huh. In all honesty, I'm not sure that in my mind, it's not, it's by far the least of my worries. Okay. The main one is that children, of course, have a long portion of their life expectancy ahead of them. Right. The mRNA vaccines, which comprise the overwhelming majority of all the ones that are even EUA authorized, those vaccines are designed to cause the individual cells to stint, to produce what's called the spike protein, which mm -hmm. has now been found to be one of the prime causes of the, of the bad effects of the virus itself. So in other words, it's designed to produce the very thing that in the virus cause a lot of the damage in the body. 
which mm -hmm. will go on for some, we don't know have any how long that process will go so that when the individual produces this spike protein over, it could be months, could be years, we don't know. There is no data. We have the, the data, the, the time frame for approval with the emergency use authorization was months. And many of the long-term side effects from other vaccines have shown up after years. So sure. there is just not the data to know if it's safe. And in a setting where it's not necessary, it is, there's no need for the vaccine. That's the first thing. It is absolutely, in my view, it is un unacceptable and unconscionable to administer a COVID vaccine to any child for any reason, period. Mm -hmm. I don't know that what a, whatsoever. Dr. McCullough, the leading authority in the United States, if not the world, has pretty much said the same thing. Right. And it does, it does seem that we're starting to see more specific adverse reactions in young people, not necessarily teenagers, but that too, but also young adults, especially males. We're seeing issues with females of all ages in their menstrual cycle, which to me is incredibly scary for a, a you know an adolescent girl or teenage girl and yes. worries about the future with that um you know i've heard some horrible stories even just in our local community about super healthy kids that are no longer able to play sports because they can't function normally and it's happening all around us and of course these are outliers but like you said the risk is so minimal and we know I know a lot of people say, well, but we want to be able to see grandparents again and we need to protect them. But like you said, the, the, the transmission from kids to uh, adults and, and elderly is, is not, is not, <laughs> there's, there's none of that happening. The other thing I want to ask you before we, we wrap up is, you know, for me, with the mask situation, when that was kind of the main thing and we didn't have a vaccine yet, Every, the, the message was the mask protects other people, right? Well, for that's me, message correct. It does. That's the message, right? Not not that that's true, but that is the message we received. Yes. So when the vaccine came out, it seemed that at the beginning, and it would seem logical that if I choose to get a vaccine, that is for my protection, and that was the initial message. But now there's all of this pressure and, and the, the message and the narrative has moved to be now it's all about everybody else again and, and about grandma and everybody else. Do you have any comments on that? Because I, yes, I understand the whole message of herd immunity, which of course that millions of people have had COVID in the United States reported and unreported. So we do have some level of herd immunity from that. And then those that have already chosen to be vaccinated, why is the pressure now for those that are unvaccinated that it must happen in order to achieve herd immunity? Because in my opinion, it seems like we're probably already there. There are some, some very high level, extraordinarily well academically qualified individuals who have recently talked about that. And they are absolutely convinced that we already have herd immunity to COVID-19 already today. And uh, mm -hmm. herd immunity really came from natural diseases lifelong uh, resistance like to measles uh, and the, so that vaccines have been sort of uh, appropriated as being part of that. But the major historical um, source of herd immunity has been natural infections. And the same thing, 
we have three. We have the uh, people who have had various COVID things related, closely related genetically to the COVID-19. Mm-hmm. Other kinds of viruses are very similar. Uh, anybody who's had those probably is not susceptible. Some would say as many as 20%. Then mm-hmm. the, the antibodies that everybody talks about are only a small part, not the most important part of the immune system resistance to viruses. The most right. important part is the T cell, mm-hmm. uh, which can't be done, practically speaking, some 20 or 30% of people in some surveys, when they've done the studies, have been found to have T cell immunity. To right. add well, you'll have to talk to Reggie about that because they just started testing T cells. So. <laughs> yeah, but not yeah. many people have had it done. Oh, sure, right. At this point, that's, yes. But um, I, I think it just, it frustrates me significantly that we've, we've changed this narrative to be one that's not personal choice, but about everybody else. And everybody thinks that this is the only way to get back to normal. And it's, it, you know, it's the first time that, in, that, I, that I, I feel that this has ever been this kind of narrative where people are push so hard to do something that is against what they wish to do in this country. And I guess the question is, if this is such a great, safe, effective vaccine that everybody needs to have, then why are you threatening people so badly in order to get it? So that's that's my big question. And there, there never has been anything mm-hmm. like this ever in history. Uh, And again, you won't have to put the context in there that COVID-19 is nothing more than a flu-type event with regard to the facts of the risk of someone dying or having serious illness, termed statistically speaking, with no treatment. Uh, And there is early treatment, which we did not have in the past. Right, right. What would you say to a parent... um, well, let's not even say that. What would you say? You know, like I said, all of our major hospitals in our area have suddenly said you have till October 30th to get vaccinated. And we, we still don't know what the how they will handle exemptions and that kind of thing. Is there any advice that you might give to those that are not OK with following along with this? Because I've heard from a whole lot of them that are just beside themselves with trying to figure out what to do. Do you have any advice for those folks? I know you're not a legal expert. You are a medical expert, but I was just curious if you might have any starting places. I I don't know what to advise people because in my view, it's an unfortunate phenomenon that's going on. I don't think it's warranted to require these. Mm -hmm. And so individuals faced with that dilemma just have to really uh, seek out. and, And I would just point them to some sources that, have some wonderful resources to look at regarding Mm -hmm. on the one side legal help and on the other side practical ways to deal with it. American Frontline Doctors, AFLD. Yeah, American Frontline Doctors, yep. And then the uh, American Association, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, AAPS. Those two sources have wonderful resource links for all kinds of aspects about that. Okay, great. Thank you for that because I know that's a huge topic I'm hearing about for, for kids, for people that don't know how they're going to handle this with their kids, as well as just for their livelihood. And I keep telling everybody to stand strong, you know, vaccine, whether or not you think the vaccine is a good idea for yourself or not, let's 
protect medical freedom because the yeah. next thing yeah. that comes along, you might not be okay with, you know. And people should have the right to make it. Yeah, you're right. If somebody wants to take it themselves or child, fine, that's their prerogative. But mm -hmm. there absolutely should be no mandates or pressure, not even just mandates, even uh, penalties. And to have a scarlet letter because if you, you, have a, you have to wear a mask, if you weren't vaccinated, Mm -hmm. you, know, you did that's, a, that's completely unacceptable right right well dr Ravenel, i am so appreciative for your time today i would love to um actually in the show notes i can link to your facebook post i believe that's a public post so that people can come and see that long um list and, and your yeah. research and your comments on the research there i think it's a really important thing for people to be able to see yeah um, if any of our listeners have follow-up questions or topics you'd like us to discuss with Dr. Ravenel in the future, I would love to hear from you. I'm so grateful for all the research that you're doing and all of the resources that you're equipping all of us with um, during your retirement when you just can't stop, right? I hope to be like <laughs> you when I grow up. So uh, thank you so much for joining us today, and I hope you have a great weekend. You bet. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay, bye.